Welcome back to We Gotta Talk About. This is Myalicious. And this is your girl KTZ. Thanks for tuning in with us this week. We are so excited for you to listen to this week's episode. All right. This week, we got to talk about education. We're going to have two very special guests on this episode. We are talking to my sister, who is an ethnic studies and world history teacher at a school in Oakland. And we'll also be having some students who run an account called Black in PUSD, which stands for Howe Unified School District. So those are two guests for today. And then me and Caitlin are just going to talk a little bit at the beginning about our experiences in education and kind of why we think this topic is important. So let's get into it. Hello, everyone. Happy 2021. I know you guys are going to have already listened to us, but at this point, this is our first official recording of the new year. Mm -hmm. Did we talk after the, no, we talked before the new year. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So this is, you know, new year, new extension of our journey. And we're talking about education because, you know, teachers are wild. School is wild. Learning (laughs) is wild. And American education is on a completely different level of fuckery than I think a lot of people want to admit, which is fine. Mm-hmm. That's why we're here to talk about it. But yeah, I mean, personal experiences are always our favorite thing. So let's dive in. I mean, let's see. You grew up in the San Diego school system, correct? Yeah. So the girls who are who run that page, they went to my high school. Like that is about my school district. Yes, we are gonna alumni talk it up, which I love because the only thing I know about Maya's school from at least her high school was that one of her alumni from her school is now a Dallas Cowboys cheerleader that's all I know and oh she's white with blonde hair and was a dancer and but yeah I mean I don't have any special alumni but I thoroughly enjoyed my schooling experience I will start out the conversation by saying that I don't know about you but I'm definitely someone who feels like they were very lucky and blessed with the education that she had however comma in talking to my classmates throughout the years I definitely was a teacher's pet I Mm. definitely had a lot of privilege at my school, which is something I can't wait to dive into because I, I know that wasn't normal for a lot of people. And I don't think I really, I, I knew I always had privilege at my school, Maya, but I didn't know it's an adult. I think I like, I think it took me to leave and be in college to be like, oh, none of these professors at college give a damn about me. Mm. Now I know why my mom kept pushing for me to go to a smaller school because she was very much like, you are a big fish in a small pond in high school. And I feel like you would thrive if you could also like keep that mentality in college. And I was like, who wants to be in a small pond in college. When we talked to the to the girls from Black and PUSD, like I'm sure they're gonna have some stories. And I've Wait. read through all of the stories on their page where it's just like student entries of like racism in our school district. But I definitely remember just like feeling so out of touch and like out of place in my high school because everyone was so white and like they did have certain my certain like mindsets and like views that I was just like I don't get it like I can't relate on any level. And I think that's why I was so like kind of like people- distanced from learning. How many people went to your high school? 2,000. Yeah, okay, so hindsight. Um, my school had a total of like maybe 400 and that was on a good day of everyone being there. Yeah, I went to a so, really big high school. Yeah, so that's, I let's talk like, or not talk about, but I guess make that distinction that Maya school, I think is a typical average sized school district, whereas mine was very, very not. Small, very, yeah. yeah. And I think that, that you notice like who school is made for a lot more when you're at a bigger school like that. 
because like it's very clear who the curriculum is catered to and like who they want at their school and so like the biggest thing that I noticed at my high school was everything was about like doing your best being in the most AP classes super super competitive people used to say that it was like a mini college so when I went to college I was like this is easy compared to the high school that I went to like this is nothing And so you could tell that it was very much like they wanted white kids and Asian kids, but only the really, really, really smart Asian kids because I'm Asian too. They didn't want Asian kids like me who like wanted to be on the dance team and like wanted to paint and like all that stuff. They didn't want those Asian kids. They were all about test scores. They were all about if you're in a bunch of AP classes, you get special privileges, teachers will be more lenient on you. Like definitely pushing a certain demographic at that school for sure. I definitely noticed that. Um, And so I think that's why I was so like uninvolved in my high school is because I was like, this isn't an environment that was made for me. But like my parents really wanted us to be in the school district. And that's the reason why we even live in this house is because they were like this whole school district. I live right by um, an elementary school and a middle school. And then the high school that I went to, they just really wanted those schools because they were like, oh, these are such good schools. But like with good schools comes white people like that is what good schools are deemed in this country which is another huge problem it is a huge problem um it's definitely a topic to address and yeah it's just crazy to think so that's interesting that that's your experience that it's like you had an experience that low-key wasn't an experience in some degree because you didn't even have like those opportunities it sounds like to even like have a teacher want to even engage because maybe the class sizes were too big maybe yeah. you know they had too many classes throughout the day you know like uh, I don't know how many and they wanted certain students like they wanted the students right. that would excel and perform and listen to them and like follow yeah. the rules and I was never that I was never that kid yeah and I was so competitive I expected my grades to get me into honors and AP courses I started out in honors English and then had to leave so my teacher was like Kayla no and I was like wow why um, and that haunted me for a while. It's still a problem for me to this day as an adult. Like, why wasn't I smart enough, quote unquote, and like applying myself enough to stay and stick with those courses? But then as I realized throughout high school, I didn't want to be in those classes with those specific peers because while they were the smart kids and they were, I mean, we have 13 valedictorians because anybody can be valedictorian who just has a yes. 4.0 or higher. So like, did I want to be one of those people? Sure, of course. Did I always expect that of myself? Yes. But then just to see how they all carried themselves at times, or just like how mm-hmm. the topics of conversations would go, like, I love all of them. Don't get me wrong. For Very elitist. Time. Yeah. But like, and again, I love all of you. I know there's a couple of you listening to this and it's not like I felt threatened or intimidated or jealous. It was more of just like, I didn't feel good enough. And so I wanted to like bring myself down to the level that I thought maybe I could be on. And I was like, right. well, my extracurriculars make me good enough. So I'm just going to keep harping on my ASB and NHS and blood drive and teacher's aid and office aid. Like, I was just like, okay, all these things plus my three sports. Like, I was just like, it's fine. I'm enough in that capacity is being well-rounded. But then I was like, that started competition for me, I think. So it didn't translate well to college is the point I'm trying to bring up. Like, Mm -hmm. because of that dynamic, I also, San Jose State was just like a freaking culture shock to me. And like you saying that was easier environment for you than high school. I walked into San Jose State and I was like, these teachers don't give a damn about my success here. Well, um, the last thing that we want to talk about before we have our guests on is um, why it's so important to talk about education and what we feel is missing from the education system when it comes to supporting non-white students. Yes, definitely. Um, I know for me, I think education is always important because I just think we need to know everything we can 
as much as you want to. I think knowledge is power. What's up, NAACP? And I just, I don't know. I, I'm, I've always been that girl who just wants to know everything about everything. Like I'm the girl who goes into Black Bear Diner and reads the story about how they got started, even though I read it every time I go in. That's just who I, and I know there's so many people out there like that. And I just think it's important for us to have as much knowledge as our white peers who are getting better access, who have better, like, I mean, they even have better libraries. Like there are sometimes I would go to the library trying to find a book and I just couldn't find it. But then you go to the white neighborhood and they've got it because they just have more donations than we might get. Right. So it's just, that's why education is so important, you know, and we're not necessarily dissecting, I guess, education versus higher education. That's a different topic in itself, but I will always encourage anyone, if you have the means and the access to just learn, to take it, whether it's a trade, whether it's higher education, anything, because it's just Mm -hmm. important. Like I said, knowledge is power. I mean, we all hate ignorant people, and yet there are people who quite literally choose to just not learn more about different topics. um, So that way they're more versed, and you can actually have an open, honest, healthy dialogue with someone. So, I mean, you and I both know how much it sucks to talk to someone who's just clearly uneducated on what they have to say. Mm -hmm. Um, But those are the people who believe what they, you know, their opinion much more, it seems like. I don't know, it's weird. So, but education, it's just important. It's important to have knowledge. It's important to want to learn. And it's important to listen, I guess, when other people are trying to educate you on topics you are not well-versed in. What about you? How do you feel about education? Yeah, I'm glad that you brought that up too. I was hoping that you would of like the struggle of talking to people who like very clearly, not that they're completely uneducated, but very clearly like have learned a certain way. And I think that it's really important to also like talk about education, like outside of the classroom. I think that that's not something that's like really emphasized enough. That's why I think it's important to like talk about how education isn't just like what you learn in school, what you learn from a book, what you learn from your teachers. Like there's so much education happening outside of that. And there's also so much like material that like you learn about in school, but you only learn about it from one side. So I think that like taking what you learn in school and like applying that knowledge and being like, okay, but what about from the other side of this story? Because they say that there's like three sides to every story, right? Right. And so I think that that is really important because it's, it is very frustrating, especially as someone who's not white, who already like the second you try to have a conversation with somebody about an issue that's like, quote unquote, controversial, they immediately start like attacking you and it's taken as an attack. And so we do end up having to be like the most educated person in the room because we already know the second we open our mouths, like it's going to be taken as like, oh, this woman is attacking me. And so now I have to defend my character. And I think that if more people actually took the time to be educated and continue their education, even after they leave school or even like just generally outside of school, then like wouldn't be happening so much. No, I don't, yeah, I'm so glad you said that. That's so true because, I mean, how, I don't know about, I don't know if this applies to you, but there's been so many times when I've caught myself just talking and I feel like I'm trying to get my point across. Yeah. And I finally, like, my man was like, you know, you come up a little defensive sometimes when we, like, just have conversations in mixed company. Mm-hmm. Like, you just, you need to get your point across or if it's not the same point, then your, your dukes are up and you're, like, ready to fight for it. And I... I'm so glad you pointed that out because I have to sit and ask myself why. And it's because we're just never allowed to speak up in these predominantly white spaces. So any chance I get 
to interject my opinion or knowledge on something. I want to do it so strongly and it may not be the best like personality trait of mine to want to just like dive in and always talk. I'm the same way. My family criticizes me a lot because they're like, every time we try to talk to you, you get super defensive. And I'm like, well, I just don't feel like anyone ever listened to me growing up. And I also still feel like no one ever listens to me, even outside of the house. And I also have a bad memory. So like once the thought is in my head, like I have to get it out. And I'm trying very hard because I know it also can come across like rude and like I'm interrupting people. And that's really not what I want to do. I just like if I don't say it, you lose I'll it. forget. Yeah. <laughs> and then it takes you 20 minutes to bring it back sometimes. And you're like, the conversation's over and you moved on to a different topic. I completely yeah. understand. So yeah. your second question was, what was it? Um, what's what missing? You, what's missing? So for you, what's missing in the education system that you've experienced from, you know, grade school all the way through college Everything and beyond? Um, yeah. <laughs> I think that like, I think, I think think, like the biggest issue that I see is access. Like we want Mm. people to be so educated. And a lot of the times we see people be like, oh, like read a book. And I'm like, okay, what about people who are blind and like, can't, don't have access to the same books that you have access to? Like they're not written in braille, you know? And then they're like, okay, then listen to a book. And I'm like, what about people who are hard of hearing and like people who have hearing problems? Like you're not like nothing is provided to people who have like anything other than like 2020 vision and perfect hearing and a car to drive to school or a bus route to drive them to school. So like mm-hmm. you have to, you have to think about like all of these different factors that play into like how people are actually able to go get educated. Cause it's not just like, oh, you know, you live here in the U.S. and there's an elementary school down the road. And so like, you have to go to school. A lot of people are like, especially in the middle of like, but fuck nowhere, where like their whole family is like farmers. (laughs) They're like, yeah, it's down the road, but it's down the road, like 20 miles. That's the closest school. And like, we have to tend to the field and there's no bus that comes out here. And there's a lot of people in this country who are just uneducated because of that. And it's not even just like in the middle of nowhere that that happens. That happens literally everywhere. But the other thing that I think is missing is like, I almost, I I don't even know how to phrase that, like therapy almost in a way. Like, I think that there's like, there's like a certain aspect to like teaching that should involve counseling. Like, I think that the two should be taught together because so many, so much of the time, like teachers just know how to teach. I, I said this a little bit before. But, like, they just know, like, the theory and they know, like, the books to read and they know, like, how to build a curriculum, but they don't know how to, like, engage with students and keep students interested and, like, what activities to do with them and then how to engage with students who are acting out because, like, they're not acting out for no reason and they're not acting out because, like, they hate you and, like, your class is stupid. Like, there's always another, like, underlying reason. Like, something's happening at home. Something happened with another teacher that day. Something happened with a student. Like, there's so many different things that like I think is missing from that and also just like textbooks in general oh my god (laughs) textbooks in general just need to be rewritten all of them are eurocentric and like we talk about a little bit later with my sister schools were never meant for people of color to be in like we were never meant to be in the education system or a part of it and it's very much reflected in the curriculum but like that needs to change and I love seeing now during like COVID access is another thing that has come up a lot during COVID because like not everybody has access to the internet. 
and things like that to be like online school. But another thing that I that I actually do like about it is that I've been seeing a lot of people like offering just like oh like one hundred and fifty dollars or like two hundred dollar like classes here and there that's like basically provide you with a lot of like this supplemental material that you're never gonna learn in school. Like I took a right. whole course on like Latin America, like anti-blackness in Latin America and like Latin American studies and like just like blackness in Latin America. And yeah. I would never learn about that in school. Even if you take like a really in-depth Latin American studies class or you take a really in-depth African American studies class, like those two things are very intersectional for pe- black people in Latin America and like they're not taught about it in school. Because like African American studies is like there's so there's so many things to cover and there's so many things that they don't teach you that like if you're in African American studies they're going to teach you like all of this wealth of information that's happened over the past 400 years like how can you just teach that and then on top yeah. of that be like oh let's also talk about like black people in Asia and black people in Europe and black people in Latin America like it's just too much so I'm glad oh, that I- there's like an ability to actually like go online and like take these classes and like learn these things from people who aren't technically professionals and technically certified as teachers. And like, they're still experts because a lot of the time it's their lived experience. So I think that like, that's also something that's missing is like storytelling and like supplemental material that's like not included as like a part of a curriculum or as a part of a textbook. Oh, hell yeah. No, it's interesting you said that about the, the $150 and $200 classes, because I remember being so excited when someone put out on Instagram, it was like one of those e-news or like bullshit Instagrams, and they were like, do you want to be a Harvard um, scholar? Like Harvard yeah. is releasing all of their programs. And I was like, oh my God, dope. Like I knew colleges did this. And it's not for a degree. It's literally just for like a certification of I am well knowledge knowledgeable about this subject. It's and just to say you have Harvard on your resume. Literally. And so I went and they had something on social media and like content creation. I was like, oh, this would be interesting. Let me see what Harvard's got to say. I clicked to enroll $10,000. And I was like, for a certificate to tell me that I sat through your six week course and I'm now more, because it came from Harvard, I was like, what the hell? It was when like all those celebrities, um, like Russell Wilson and Sierra yeah, yeah. and like Blake Lively and all them. And like, they were all like talked about for a week because they all did this stupid Harvard program together to claim, oh, I'm a Harvard grad. But like, you yeah, yeah. Tyra. But, yeah. And so it's funny that you said that because I remember being like, how cool would this be? if like, I don't have my freaking bachelor's yet, but I can get a freaking Harvard certification mm-hmm. in this topic and use that to help me on my resume and for my career. Yeah, no, can't afford that shit. Um, and something I wanted to touch on really quick with you was your guidance counselor experience, because that was one thing I really think needs to change about our education system is the role of guidance counselor, the role of like a college admissions, you know, like assistant who helps you, um, you know, from your like basically sophomore to senior year of high school. At my high school, and I'm sorry if you're listening or your husband's listening to this, but we had a guidance counselor who just was bad. She was just bad. She did her job, yes, but in the job of helping students, she only wanted to help the students that were in the AP courses, that were in the honors Mm -hmm. courses, students that she truly wholeheartedly believed could get into the UC system or even out of state. And I remember sitting down with her, I think like my sophomore or junior year, and I was like, yeah, I'm going to be applying to like a couple of UCs and some Cal States and uh, University of Texas at Austin. She's like, oh no, sweetheart, you cannot get in there. I was like, excuse me? And she was like, your grades are just like, if that's what you want to do, you should have been, had great grades since freshman year. And I was like, 
what do you mean Ben had great grades? Like, yeah, I'm a B average student, but like I have extracurricular so ass. Like I'm literally class president every other year. So like, what more do I need to give of myself? And she just completely knocked me down. Like I just, it was, and I understand it's your role to, to be realistic with your kids, but I also think it's important for you to not just be like, yeah, your dreams are too high. You clearly like are not able to reach them. And like, it wasn't even about like, here's what we could do to maybe help you still mm -hmm. get in at least. It was just like a, mm, take your focus off of that. I don't even think about out of state. And that broke my heart because my best friend went to Alabama and she was like, why don't you just apply? Like you could get in, you never know. And I never applied because I was like, I'm not going to get in. I don't want to waste my parents' money. I don't want to take the risk. Like if I can't get into UC Santa Barbara, clearly she's right. And I'm just not cut out for these other schools. And it's like, who would have known? I could have possibly gotten in just on an admission essay alone because I'm a great writer. Who would have known? And so that was one thing I want to touch on about what's missing. We need these guidance counselors. Like, if you don't give a damn about your students going off to college, don't be a fucking guidance counselor. Like, right. you guys diminish people's enthusiasm to learn. You stop their effort and their energy from, like, reaching its full potential because you're like, mm, you're just not that good. And I don't know why you have these aspirations, but you should probably let them go. And it's like, that's not your job. Your job is to tell me what I should do and provide me with the resources in order to help me reach this point. She's not yeah. a guidance counselor anymore. I heard she was fired and I'm happy for it. Good. I went my middle school guidance counselor as a high school senior to get accurate guidance because I was wow. like, I should have to, like, dude. And he was like, we really shouldn't be doing this. And I'm like, I know, but I need you to be honest with me and not just be a bitch because right. you had a bad day and you don't want to have this meeting right now, which is really what it was. So that's one thing I think should change is all educators' perspective on why you chose the job in the first place. Why are you doing this line of work you're mm -hmm. doing? Because if we can get called out, you know, for wanting to do social media content or marketing or whatever it is, like in your passion for your, you all got to have the same passion too. You're literally helping mold the future of America. We are the people who are going to make your laws for you. We're the people who are going to make sure your social security doesn't run out when you get old and you need to rely on it. So why do you not give a damn about your children when these are the kids who are literally going to be running the world for you when you're like done with your career and you're retired? That's mm -hmm. one thing I think needs to change. So those are what we think are missing from the education. Is there anything else you think is missing that you've noticed? Um, I also, well, you talked about like guidance counselors and stuff. And so one thing I did want to bring up was that I was an avid when I was in middle school and high school which is like the college readiness, whatever program. Mm -hmm. And I honestly, like, I, I think if I hadn't been in that class, I probably wouldn't have even like gotten into college because like I was with the same people from like seventh grade until like senior year and okay. like moving here at the age that I did, like a lot of the people who I grew up with already had their friends and stuff. And so like Avid did really help me a lot. And I do think that that's something missing is like having an actual like separate program that's like, here's how you can like build a future. It doesn't necessarily have to be like college readiness. Like I think that is good for people who want to go to college. But like you mentioned all the time is like, what about a trade school or like learning a different craft and like honing in on those skills? Like I think that that's something separate that's like missing. And I know that even back in the day, they used to have like home economics and like they would teach you like cooking wood shop and like woodshop. Yeah. yeah, like all these different things. And like all of those programs like don't even exist anymore. I've never even heard of them. Yeah. I think like maybe I've encountered a couple like wealthier people who are like, oh yeah, we had home econ in our school. And I'm like, great, cool. He didn't go to a public school clearly. Yeah. Um, 
So I think that that is one of the big things that's missing because like I never really felt like I needed a guidance counselor because I was already an avid. So like I was really close with those teachers because like we end up having kind of like the same teachers and we had tutors and the tutors were like in their 20s. So like they were closer to our age and like a lot of them were in college and just like doing this as like a job or like alumni from the school who were like in school and they like lived in the area still and things like that. And so like those were honestly the people that like I was mentored by was like not even teachers or students or anything. It was like my avid tutors. I was really, really close with them. That's so funny you say that because we couldn't even afford a program like that at our school. You know, like we didn't have the funding to have a teacher who would have been willing to be an advisor, who would have been willing to spend their free time with a group of kids. who. Needed so it was that. teachers who like taught a subject and avid. So like they were like, it was like a, it was like a humanities teacher who like half of her classes were regular humanities and half of them were like humanities slash avid okay yeah yeah and so you've had for school it was like your college preparation was an ap course like you're not an ap you're not going to be college prepared like that's only what it was was like because the rest of us just kind of had to deal with it it was like you know if you didn't get into the ap course if you if you're not if you're not already eligible enough for that course load sorry best of luck to you and that's and and I went to a great school don't get me wrong like I'm definitely someone who still advocates for her school um for the little resources we had I do feel like a lot of our educators really did try their hardest to just work with what they got and you know give us what they could but I mean at the grand scheme of things though for college preparedness the, the only teacher that prepared me for anything was my English teacher because I procrastinated and wrote 10 essays the night before. So I was able to procrastinate my college assignments and my anatomy teacher who made us write all of our notes color coded. And so I took that with me to college. Everything I learned was all just knowledge and had nothing to do with college preparedness, nothing. And about 65% of our students that are alumni could admit they put that note taking with them, but everybody else is like, but what else did we take from our educators? So mm-hmm. again, sorry to any teachers that might listen, because I know somebody's going to listen to this. Not harping on you guys, just literally saying there should be more focus. If the, if the end game for teachers is to get your students into college, act like it. That's all I'm trying to say. Yeah. Give there should be more work. focus other than like a textbook. Like, that's it. It's really like, that simple. <laughs> college where were we sitting there and we were like oh my god these professors don't even care like these high school teachers pound into you you know you can't do this you can't do this you can't do this and then you get to college and professors are like all right here's the material read it I need a paper on it by this date there will be no late days if you have questions you can email me here's my office hours bye and you're like there's no discussion I don't just sit here for the full class time to like have you berate me over the information I can just go and do it on my own mm-hmm. and if I about my grade great and if I don't oh well like and they just hype you up like college is this devil area of like you have all these rules it's like college has no rules besides that's actually the hardest part of college is that there are no rules <laughs> and literally there's no rules because even at our college you could literally put a bike lock around your black roommate's neck and not get kicked off of campus for it like there's no freaking rules so you know also if you're a high school educator be freaking honest about the college experience stop sugarcoating this crap and stop trying to scare and intimidate your students that's why so many kids don't even apply to college why mm-hmm. do kids who hate high school, who hate going and waking up at seven, going, they were, this is all capitalism. We all need to like willingly admit that the education system is the viewpoint into capitalism for kids ages 13 through 18. If you're yeah. waking up, you're going and sitting at your desk, you're doing whatever work you need to, you got a couple breaks throughout the day, 
And then after that, you either go work out because you're an athlete or you go home and finish whatever work you need to and then rinse, repeat. So, so many of Yeah, no, it is. It's just, it's just setting kids up. And that's why I was saying like school is so difficult for people who don't follow the rules, who don't give a fuck about like your power trip that you want to go on, who can't sit still in class, who can't pay attention easily, who aren't like people who read and can like sit there and read a textbook all day. It's, it is, it's like training you. They're, they're basically weeding out the people who like aren't going to be beneficial to capitalism. Right. Who are it's be- not like that in other countries. Like I remember my mom, she very recently just started telling me about like her education when she was in the Dominican Republic because she uh-huh. doesn't really talk about it because I think it makes her upset because she's like still high key, very bitter that she was brought to this country yeah. um, because she like never really had to try in school after she came here because it was so easy because like teachers don't give a fuck. Don't care. And she was telling me, my dad too, they were like, oh yeah, you know, like in India and in the Dominican Republic, like you go to school in the morning, same time, you know, like seven, eight o'clock. Um, you do like your classes, whatever. And then like at noon, you you go to lunch and you don't come back. I was like, wait, wait, wait. So you're telling me that there's a reasonable schedule and you guys have some of the smartest people in the world coming from your country. Oh and they're not at, sitting in school eight to ten hours a day. It's not well, necessary. It's not. Necessary. It's not necessary at all. It, yeah, and it's it's crazy. It's just it's crazy to me. It it truly blows my mind that we're just okay with it and like we just have to suffer through it as kids because we really don't have rights. Right. Um, you know, school has turned into the place your parents send you so they can make the money. School right. has turned into this glorified babysitter system of like. Mm, well, I mean, that's why so many parents were freaking out at the beginning of the pandemic because they're like, now I have to actually take care of my kid all day and work. Try to help your kid with their school. Like, were you not doing that before? Like, so many parents outed themselves as being bad parents in the yeah. realm of kids' education when the pandemic hit because they had no idea what to do. Um, and yeah, so shout out to, I, I, I don't want it to come off like we're just berating all educators everywhere. We do know there are good educators out there. We have had them ourselves, even if it's been in a small capacity, we have had some experiences. You know, this episode wasn't meant to just sit here and like bash all teachers and educators. It was really meant to just highlight from a teacher's perspective that you guys will hear soon, as well as other students, you know, in a predominantly white area, just how different things operate for us based on, I don't know, the level of effort from your educators, of the willingness and desire to actually teach you. I mean, I had my English teacher pull me on my class and tell me about a story about how he lost one of his best friends because he was a drunk and was just like trying to correlate it to my own life and was like, I see you kind of going off your way. And I just want you to know, like, even if you tread ever so slightly and your blinders aren't on, this is what could happen to you. And like, he took 20 minutes out of the school, like in the class, he said, y'all do whatever you gotta do. I gotta go talk to her outside. And literally for 20 minutes, just had a conversation with me and he was just like, I'm gonna make sure you're good. I'm gonna keep you on your path. Like, please don't get sidetracked or stray. Like you got this. And I was like, this ain't gonna happen to me in college. I thought maybe it could, maybe if I went to a smaller school, it would happen to me in college, somebody who actually cared. But I wanted to touch on bad testers. Like how are kids who just are bad testers ever supposed to be adequately, you know, evaluated on their potential? Right. Like, do you ever think they'll be like, I'm a bad, I'm a bad tester. I'm not a, I'm not a dumb person. And I didn't like completely Yeah. like slack off and like not pay attention. Like I knew what I, I mean, I knew my shit, but yeah, I I was just never good at taking tests. I just wasn't. 
So it's like, how is that fair for people? Like you said, like if you had a, a, a bad memory, if you can't retain Which I do. <laughs> information, it's like we're punishing kids with grades that will help you not even be able to get into college because your memory might not be as strong as the person next to you. Like I used to get so irritated in college with my sorority sisters who had, uh, what do you call it? And you can just read and memorize shit. You know what I'm talking about. You know, we can just read shit. Photographic memory. Jesus Christ. Oh. Um, and you know, like, bitches would sit there two hours before class, read their textbook, and then be come back and be like, oh, I got an A on my test. And I'm like, yo, I've been studying for I two years. I would hate that. And it was really diminishing. I remember I have a best friend who was just a bad tester. And she was so stressed about her SATs because she's like, I'm not going to college. My parents aren't going to hate me. I'm going to be stuck in this shithole town forever because I'm not going to be able to get into college because I'm a bad tester. And by the grace of God, of course, she got into school. But she was so freaked out her entire college experience because she was like, these uh, letter grades are not, you know, um, these letter grades are not, what am I trying to say? A representation of like how yeah. smart or intellect I actually am. I just have a bad short-term memory. It stresses me out trying to memorize things. Like when did schooling become this like memorization one-on-one, like. No, that's what it is. But that, I mean, that is like the system of capitalism is like, you just do mundane work enough that like you don't realize that you're not actually living a life you're just going through the motions like that's exactly what they train you to do in school because that's what you do in school but we've got some great conversations coming up for you guys yeah so thanks for tuning in to our takes on education and now we're going to talk to the students from black and pusd All right, we are so happy to welcome the founders of Black in PUSD, which stands for Poway Unified School District. We have Nene and Ekene. They are the found co-founders of Black in PUSD on Instagram, which is a page that brought attention to the racism that students of color experience in their community. Through their advocacy, the Poway Unified School District has implemented a racial equity and inclusion plan, as well as ethnic studies and ethnic literature courses. To continue educating the community, they created ethnication.com to serve as a resource for students and teachers to learn about various racial justice and ethnic studies topics. They also host a podcast where they discuss various social justice issues related to race and identity. Thank you guys so much for being on our podcast. Mm -hmm. So why don't you just start by introducing yourselves and let us know how you identify. I'm Nene, um, identify as as she, her. And yeah, I'm um, Ekene, and I also use she, her pronouns. What kind of made you want to start this page? Right. So growing up, I think I was always vocal about different political topics that interested me. And I think that with that background, during the um, Black Lives Matter movement, that's when our page basically started because we saw what was going on in the nation and we thought it'd be a, a good idea to showcase the own racism, the racism that is going on in our own community and like bring light to that and work to change that. So I think that's basically what helped us like 
start this movement in our community. Yeah, um, and during like the peak of the Black Lives Matter movement, um, we had, me and Amy had a conversation. We were saying like, wow, like it's so nice that this is finally getting traction. And um, we not only want to be a part of the movement, but we want to lead the movement. And it was just, like a month uh, before we made our page and we didn't expect our page to like gain that much traction. But like, it's kind of funny to like reminisce on that conversation that we had where we said like we wanted to be a, like we want to lead the movement and now we're like leading a movement within our mm -hmm. own community. So it's pretty cool to think about. Yeah, it is really cool. Cause I think a lot of people think of like leading the movement as like being on the, in the headlines and like being at the front of every single march and like yeah. being in the news. And we grew up in the same community. We actually all went to the same high school, um, mm -hmm. me much earlier than you guys. Yeah. But it is really important because this community has like so many disparities that people just don't even talk about because it is kind of like a wealthier community and that high school is like one of the newer high schools. And so people like just swept a lot of things under the rug. So I'm really glad that you guys started this. And I remember like I found the page one day and I went and I found my sister and I was like, have you seen this? Like <laughs> these are people from um, Poway Unified School District. And so we started like reading them and we would just like send them to each other and we'd like send them to other alumni from Westview. And it was just crazy because I was like, a lot of these people aren't even current students. It's so many like alumni and like younger kids from like middle school who kind of like go on here and submit their stories. So mm -hmm. I love that you guys did that. Thank you. No, I'm excited. And thank you guys you know, for even advocating because I just know it's hard. We all know as Black women how hard it is to advocate for the things that we know people need to just listen to. Right. So seriously, thank you for doing your part in that and for even agreeing to talk to us and come on. I can't wait to hear your guys' experiences. Um, just so you guys know, because I know you guys went to the same high school, but I was just telling Maya earlier how I feel like I kind of came from a, a place of privilege at my high school as like, the black girl who was involved in everything and all the teachers like so I kind of felt like I could get away with murder at that school if I really wanted. <laughs> but that was not the case for all of my black peers even my best friends like I felt like I was on a different totem pole of like here's what you can do but everybody else you you got to operate at this level here so I'm very interested to sit back and get to get your guys's you know collective experience on what happened to you guys at your school how you feel about your teachers now after the fact during the fact I mean throw down. Let's go. Let's get into it. <laughs> yeah. So what has been your ed experience like in education, just in terms of like curriculum that you've seen and like, you know, experiences with peers. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I have this one experience, like this was definitely the worst one that's ever happened to me. So in seventh grade, it was in November, 2016, uh, right after uh, the 2016 election. And I had gone to school um the day after and it was just like the aura of everything just felt off first of all um it like i hadn't experienced like any direct racism up up until after lunchtime so i got to my i got to my class i sat down and we were like writing essays in language arts and this girl all of a sudden was like you know what i'm so glad that donald trump won because i hate n-words and she was like she was like pulling up pic we were on the chromebooks and she was pulling up pictures of like uh people part of the kkk and she was like these people are gonna kill you 
And she's like, my great grandfather was part of the KKK and we can look up where we live. We know where your dad lives. We know where like all you guys live. And There's I was like, went to your face. Like this was yes. the same conversation. You got me. Okay. Sorry. Keep she going. said this directly to my face. And I was like, wow. Oh, no. okay. And all my other classmates were just sitting there listening to everything. And I was looking around like, okay, is anyone going to help no, me? Cause I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to start anything. Cause I knew if I said something, then they would have been like, oh, she just complaining over nothing. Like, it's not even that, like, you know, and I don't want to start anything because I know that, that if they saw me like get into a fight with her, then I probably would have been the first one like called out, even though I didn't do anything. So um, I like, I looked at my teacher, my teacher saw the entire thing play out. She looked at me like, like, oh, and then she went to go help another student. She didn't even, she didn't even come up to me. And I was like, oh, and then and then she went further by like chanting like uh she she started chanting do it right kkk do it right kkk i was like what like it was just so unusual um and then after that i asked my teacher who had heard everything play out i asked her a little bit uh, a few like 20 minutes after i was like can i no actually i asked her like five minutes after it happened i said can i go to the office to go tell them what happened and she was like no, you can wait till after the school day. So I sat there, um, sitting next to the same person. Like she didn't even move our seats. I had to sit. Ne- I had to sit next to her for like um, the rest of the school day, which was like two, two, three more, two to three more hours. And then I went to the office and um, I told them what happened. And they made me wait three days before I like they got back to me. Um, but then, okay, this is the worst part. Sorry. No, when I got to the office, I told the vice principal what had happened. No, I actually told. No, no, yes, the vice principal. I told the vice principal what happened. And she was like, oh, that happened? Okay. Well, did you mention the Black Panthers? Or did you mention any, like, other terrorist group? Or did you say anything anything bad about, like, white people and stuff like that? And I was like, I did not say anything. Like, it was an like, unwarranted experience. And she was like, okay, okay. Um, but then, yeah, so then that happened and they said, okay, do you want to go to court? Like, do you want to get the cops involved? And I was like, well, I don't really like, I was like, eh, cause you know, I don't like, no, I mean, let me not get to that. No. Cause you know, I just didn't want to make too much of a big deal out of it. Cause you know, but yeah, no, so people like word got out and people started hearing about it, um, what had happened. And I'm, uh, I remember the vice principal came up to me and she was like, have you been telling people what happened? And I was like, yeah, cause like, why wouldn't I? Like, this is such a weird experience and you guys aren't taking action. So like, I'm expressing how in disbelief I am. And then she was like, well, you need to stop that right now. Cause we need to protect the girl that said that to you. Like she was like basically protecting the girl that said it to me. And I was like, okay, well, that's that. And nothing ended up happening. She didn't get any type of referral, pink slip or anything. Yo, I'm gonna keep a lid if that happened at my school. She'd have been dragged out by the hair. <laughs> they would have just gone to the office and like, we gotta call the police because some shit went down and this girl needs to be suspended and we probably need to be thinking about kicking her ass out because this is just not time. I mean, what the hell? I almost want to cry right now because I just, that's why I have to ask. She's telling you this to your face. Like this girl has the balls to sit here and try to show you some cake. Like, I'm shook. I'm shook. And Maya's sitting there like, mm-hmm, sound about white. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know what? Like, I'm, I'm, I'm appalled, as I always am, by, like, the audacity of white people. Like, that never surprises me. But, like, wow. It's just, it's, it's really funny that you, that you told this story because I remember my sister when she was in high school here during the 2016 election. And she was like, now everyone is just, like, open about all the stuff they already believed in. But, like, now people are just walking around, like, talking about the KKK and talking about how, like, I'm going back to my country and mm-hmm. all this shit. And I was like, yeah, that, 
that is how people are like in this area. Like they have the audacity to just like say this shit to your face because no one has ever told them otherwise. And like you said, they're trying to protect this girl, even yeah. though you're the one being attacked. I know. It was just so weird. Like my teacher literally sat there and listened to this girl tell me that she wanted to lynch me and no action was taken. It's just so unbelievable. That just proves to me, like, I just, I, I literally have, I just can't. I'm really shook right now that someone had the, just that she even was bold enough to say it to your face. None of your classmates step in to like help you out verbally. And then your own teacher, like the authoritative figure in the space is just like, well, you can wait till the end of the day. Mm -hmm. Like how traumatic. You just heard someone literally threaten you and you're supposed <laughs> to sit at, like just sit back and act like, okay, I can go through the rest of my school day. It's totally fine. Right? Yeah. But she if a white person would have been threatened, it would have been like, all right, let's go to the office right now. We're about to write up some referrals. Like we're going to hang out. <laughs> oh, well, you know, that bitch would have been in tears if someone even got anywhere near her. Yeah. I, uh, I'm, just, I'm I sure you were like, hold up. What? <laughs> I know. I was just sitting there like, what? I think that's what happens to a lot of us a lot of the time. Is like you're in so much shock that someone has even said something like that to you that you can't even react. And white people, like, you can say nothing to them and they're in tears. <laughs> I had so many things going through my head that I could say. I could have said some foul stuff back to her, but I was holding myself back. I was like, let me not let me not do this today. Let me be the bigger person. Let me, let me be on the higher ground. Black woman having a, you know, just let me, let me calm myself down so I don't hurt you because it's going to make me. I know. Okay. So then I have to ask, did it ever get better for like from there? I don't know at what point in your four years of high school that happened to you, but did it happen again in that realm or around that time? Did either of you experience more yourselves or your friends? Was this like a recurring thing at your school, do you feel like? Well, this this um, particular experience happened when I was in seventh grade. So I was at Black Mountain Middle School at the time. Um, so yeah, no, but it's, um, there's definitely been other experiences in high school that like, oh God, I'm just remembering everything. No, sorry. Like there've been other times in high school where I've definitely experienced like blatant racism. Like one time I was walking with my friend um, to, I, I forget, it was like past the Cotijas area near Westview. And um, basically he was, he told me the next day after um, uh, we were, we already went our separate ways. He told me the next day at school, he was like, yeah, you know what? Like my dad saw you and I walking together. And like, when I got in the car, he interrogated me and he was like asking me like, oh my God, who is that? Like, what are you like, what are you doing with her? Like, are you, are you safe? Like all this other stuff. And then I was like, why, why did he ask you that? And then he said, because you're black. And like, he literally said to my face and then in a group of like, in a group of a bunch of other people. And then everyone was like, oh my God, that's so funny. And I was just sitting there like, uh, no. And then in that same sitting, in that same sitting, um, oh, it was a bunch of boys. No, they were like, they were like, oh my God. Like if I ever brought a black girl home, my parents would kill me. Like, ew, like I'd rather not like blah, blah, blah. And they're just making, I was the only black person. I was the only girl, first of all. And then I was the only black person. So I was just sitting there listening to them like, okay, like this is so awkward. Um, and I didn't know how to like, I was about to stand up and leave, but the fire alarm went off. So I just like hopped out when that happened. The fire alarm went off, so I just left. So I was like, okay, cool. But um, yeah, no, it was just so awkward. And I'm like, I don't understand how people like could say that to like my face. Like, I don't, I don't get it. <sighs> well, <laughs> that that was your experience. 
Yeah, it, it happens, you know, I don't know, but it shouldn't be happening. That's the thing. Like, yeah, I don't get it. And it happens every day. And this is just like supposed to be a part of our experience as black women in the education system. And I'm just trying to figure out when is it going to end? When is it going to be like, you don't have to grow up in a black neighborhood with black teachers to finally get some respect on your name or on your person. It's crazy. I would say for me personally, um, I went through, I experienced a lot less racism than she did for a few reasons, because I was also more shy and introverted, so mm-hmm. I didn't go out of my way to befriend all the popular people, because, like, they were popular. I would say I was pretty close to the popular people, and also, you didn't, you were only in middle school for, like, one year, but I, I was here since fifth grade. She was here since okay. eighth grade, so she didn't know as many people. Yeah, so I, I chose all my friends, like, carefully i had a very good friend group they were all like the typical allies like they were really they're really they're good they're awesome i'm still friends with them today but i did have um a few instances of like microaggressions and like other comments made but i think the biggest experience that i had was when i was a senior and um this was after college apps happened and um let me preface this i go to johns hopkins university right now and um before i got like when i got in um there was a lot of word like spreading when I got in because I was the only one. I think there was one other student who got in um, early decision, but I got in with the regular uh, regular decision group and I got in and then I also got into UCLA and like UC Berkeley and like a bunch oh, of other wow. schools. <laughs> <laughs> Thank yes, you. And um, so what was being said? What was being said? Yes. So my friends were supportive and everyone was super happy for me. But my friends were coming and telling me that they were overhearing people like in the hallways talking like, oh yeah, you hear Nina got into Hopkins and all these other schools. Oh, just because of affirmative action. Like, you know, I worked harder than her. Like, what does she even do? She just, she just does track, right? Like I worked harder than her. I skipped lunch and I deserve to get in. Like no offense to her, but I worked really hard. And the good thing about having like good friends who were allies is that they like stood up for me, even though I wasn't there to witness this. Like one of my friends, she was like, um, just because you think you worked hard doesn't mean that she didn't work hard too, because um, I did work hard. I did a lot of extracurriculars. I had a really good SAT and like I was a club president and founder. So like I did a lot of like good work too. I just didn't always like post or brag about it. So just because they didn't know that I was doing that doesn't mean that I wasn't doing that as well. Um, but yeah, it was when I heard these comments, well, I didn't hear them but when I heard of them. It was painful in a way because I know that the other, the white students and Asian students were not getting these comments made about them. Like all the Asian kids who were getting into like UCLA as well, or the ones that got into other top schools, no one was saying like, oh, affirmative action or, oh, they don't deserve it. But as soon as it was me, a black woman who got in, um, everybody had something to question. Everybody questioned whether or not I belong there. So that was pretty, that was a pretty hurtful experience, especially, uh, encountering encountering those people again and hearing what they said about me and then them faking their uh, congratulations to me even though they mm. said those things behind my back was pretty yeah. hurtful and even Ekene heard people yes. talking no this one hurt me because it was one of my it was one of my really close friends and she was a senior I was like a freshman we were in Spanish together she, like we were sitting there and she was like oh I heard Nene got into Johns Hopkins and I was like yeah she did and then she was like oh, do you think it was because of affirmative action and I was like why do you say that and I was, and she was like, well, cause like, you know, like, I feel like black people sometimes like they get into schools like because of affirmative action and not really because of their skill set. And I was like, no, like she did a lot. And then my friend was like, oh, what, what did she do? And like, it was just like the fact that I had to explain everything to make it like, to justify it. And I was like, I don't have to, I don't have to tell you what she did. 
Like, I don't know why you can't just accept that she's smart. She worked hard and she got to where she is today because she actually persevered and is like intelligent. I don't get why it's so hard for them to believe. Yeah. Ask why children seem to know so damn much about affirmative action. Like, did your white mommy and daddy get so upset that they didn't get a promotion they wanted because (laughs) one that was a minority who probably actually deserved it more actually got it? Like, it's wild to me. Like, why are we in high school talking about whether or not someone got into college based on affirmative action? Like, mm-hmm. like you said, you gotta, I have to sit there and prove my sister's worth to you yeah. so that like your opinion can be changed. I know. I just, right. In high school. I fully expect this bullshit in college, unfortunately, <laughs> just because we're adults and like, you know, the real world will just do things to you and whatever. But like, that just goes to just prove that people who are not the minority or even still some minorities, because I've heard my own microaggressions from Asians who are like, well, we can use it to our benefit because, you know, inherently we are smarter. And I'm like, okay. But it's just wild to me. That's, that's another, you know, well, I'm a Republican and I'm 18 and I'm voting for them for these reasons. It's like, yeah, but you're only doing that probably because your mom and dad's out there at the kitchen table have these discussions in front of you. And you're just taking what your parents are saying. This isn't your own opinion that you formulated because I mean, think about it. How many people probably said that hurtful rumor about you? Because one person had to say it. All it took was one person, and then the rest of them just took hold of it, ran with it, and they wanted to, yeah, and they wanted to discuss it, like you said, behind your back. God bless you had friends there to defend you, but the fact that you were in high school having to defend your worth to your own peers who should know your accomplishments blows my mind. And it makes me really upset because, like I said, I'm, I'm learning more. I mean, I'm 27 and I'm learning how much of a bubble my community and my schooling system was because we were kind of isolated on a military base. Like, it's just a completely different world I'm starting to see that normal Black folk have to deal with compared to what me and my Black folk have to deal with being on mm-hmm. that. So it's, that's why I'm so shocked because I'm just like, I keep seeing these stories more and more year by year. And I'm just like, okay, it's a completely different world for us. Yeah. First of all, I just want to say congratulations because you definitely deserve to get into those schools. Like they wouldn't have let you in if you didn't. So good job, girl. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's so funny because so, so much of like this community is like that. And especially at that particular high school that we all went to, it's definitely like Asians in competition with everybody else. And that whole thing of, like, minorities also being against each other, which is why we cannot have fucking POC solidarity, is so, so apparent at this high school. It's insane. So, like, I I just know, like, when you said that, I was like, I know that kids during my time, like, I was in one of the the classes at Westview that, like, everyone thought was really dumb because, like, we didn't get into, like, UCLA and Berkeley and all that shit. But everybody else, like, before and after us, like, so many people would always get into, like, top schools. And it was something that was, like, so heavily discussed and, like, harped on the whole time that you're there. It's, like, you have to get into these schools. You're stupid if you don't. You better take all these AP classes. And it's a lot of pressure on people. And on top of that, it just, like, is so much, it's so competitive at that school. It is. But it doesn't even seem like you're getting support from your staff and teachers. You know what I'm saying? It seems like you had these really high expectations of you guys, but was the support even there for you to meet the ceiling that they set up for you guys? Because from my experience, it doesn't sound like your educators were trained or encouraged to, you know, take more time with students if, you know, you needed help here or to sit you down and be like, hey, I see the potential in you and I think you're going to be great. 
how about we focus on these two things for the next year or something? And like, we're really going to get you where I think you can be. Like, it doesn't seem like, it seems like that would be such a, um, what am I trying to say? Like a specific instance, if that were to happen. Mm-hmm. It's definitely like more of a one-off. Yeah. So let's get into like, what are, what have you been experienced? What have been <laughs> your experiences with teachers? Like, have you ever had instances where you like were mentored and like teachers actually invested in your future? Do you have really bad experiences of like teachers teaching curriculum that you were like, this is just not correct. And I know that because I'm not European. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I would say I have had some positive experiences with teachers. Like um, most notable would be my calculus teacher. Um, even though it's not like a history class, he was definitely like, I could consider him a dad because like, I struggled so hard with uh, calculus AB when I was a sophomore and I almost, I almost wanted to drop, but um, he did something that no other teacher has ever done in my life. He like took me to the hallway and he talked to me and he was like, I understand it's hard, but um, I believe in you and like, we're going to get through this. Let's make a plan for you to, um, to ace this class. And we basically sat down and worked out how I was going to do better in the class. And that was very helpful and uh, I would say life-changing. So that's definitely a good experience that I've had with a teacher at Westview. But I've also had some questionable experiences with other teachers, like um, my honors English teacher, she was teaching about like racial slurs and the way that she was teaching about it, I just really didn't understand what she was trying to get at because what she did was she wrote down like every single like slur on the board, like the N-word and a bunch of other slurs for other uh, ethnic groups. And I didn't really see the point of the exercise because I'm trying to remember, this was junior year, but when she wrote it down, um, there was, she, she kind of just said like, oh yeah, these are bad to say, these are offensive. And then she kind of joked, like if the principal walked in, we'd be in so much trouble right now, haha, because like the board was covered in a bunch of weird language. And um, I don't really understand what she was trying to teach in that lesson and in that same class, we also had an exercise where we were supposed to uh, debate on whether or not white people or non-black people can say the, the N-word. And I just remember being uh, one of two black kids in that class and everyone else was like white or Asian. And I remember this one white guy was like, it's just a word, we should be able to say it. And in my head, I, I disagree so like so heavily, so wholeheartedly, but I felt like everybody else nodding, all the white faces nodding in agreement with him just kind of like invalidated my feelings. And I didn't feel like it was a safe enough space for me to be able to like speak up. say what I felt because even the teacher was white. And mm-hmm. so me just being that black kid speaking up, I didn't want to like be pinned as like the angry black kid. And I didn't want to, mm-hmm. I didn't want to be ostracized or just have to like I didn't want to put myself in an awkward position. So I kind of just um, sat through it, didn't didn't comment on it. I did that a lot throughout high school whenever we had awkward uh, conversations like that. I just kind of kept quiet about it because I didn't want to be ostracized. Yeah, exactly. out. yeah, man, I was like, no, nah, y'all wrong. And I'm gonna tell y'all why y'all wrong. Y'all gonna sit there for my 10 minute dialogue. But that's just who I am. And again, I clearly different environment. I cannot believe your teacher did that. Can't believe they were alive. I can. i remember like like, um, i think that there was a really like problematic teacher when i was at westview that people used to talk about who was also like either an english or humanities teacher or something Mm -hmm. and it was like something along the lines of like to kill a mockingbird which everybody acknowledges is like a super problematic book 
but them being like all white savior and like seeing the n-word in class and like all this stuff and that would happen at that school all the time and like you feel like you it's like you either speak up and then you're like basically representing all the people who are just like you yeah or like you just you just sit there and then like you're like okay so either I'm gonna get attacked right now or I'm gonna just like sit here and say nothing it's like there's really no winning so can you can you tell people a little bit more about like what the platform actually is because I want people to actually know like what you guys do on there yeah um so originally our platform was meant to uh, shine light on the racism that students of color face in this community and what we did was we posted stories that people submitted through our Google form and these stories were of different uh, topics related to like racist encounters like people not being able to not being allowed to speak their own native language or being called racial slurs or um, other microaggressions that happened to them and we got um we got was it a thousand submissions a thousand two hundred submissions we got like a thousand two hundred submissions but we were only able to post like about half of them because there was so much and we couldn't post everything but um for the most part we i think we covered all the different topics of racism that have that have occurred in this community and um through that we were able to get the attention of our school district and we we started working with them um pretty early on because they took these stories pretty seriously we were actually kind of surprised with mm -hmm. how fast they responded which was good though um so they started working with us on fixing this issue and after months of like corresponding and then working with other people other individuals in this community um we crafted a racial equity and inclusion plan um that would basically set forth uh guidelines and reforms to um, handle racist incidents more efficiently and to make sure that students of color had an inclusive environment and just overall felt safe and welcomed. And through that, we were also able to implement the ethnic studies and ethnic literature course in our district. So um, that's also a pretty uh, successful part of our page because that's something that we've advocated for from the beginning, just better education because we feel like if people were better educated on these topics, then like a lot of these ignorant instances would not have occurred. And um, I guess a few other things that we've done from our page is we like, like you said in the intro, we did make um, a website, ethnication.com, where we compiled a bunch of resources um, on ethnic studies and like racial justice topics. And we wanted to basically use it as a way for people and the community to have a resource and learn about these different topics that we haven't been taught in school. And um, we also have our own podcast, Culture Talk, where we um, discuss different um, racial, race, identity, society um, topics that pertain to the classroom and then just society in general. Yeah. yeah. I beautiful. love these resources. Yeah, it is. It's beautiful. Um, I just, I, I think that like so much of, so many of these incidents, like even the ones that you guys described, um, and the ones that are featured on the Black and PUSD page, like, are always just, like, brushed off, and people don't put enough emphasis on, like, sharing their stories, and yeah. people are like, oh, you need proof that, like, you did that, when it's like, no, this happened, and you just don't believe me because storytelling, like, isn't really something that's emphasized as evidence, mm -hmm. and so it's, it's really great to see, like, this entire page of just students writing in entries of, like, things that have happened to them and things that I didn't even think about like when I was in high school like my prom someone wrote in about the prom that was my year of prom where it was like a um, Arabian Nights themed 
and it was on a military base. And we were like, we never noticed like how problematic that was at the time because all you're taught like in school, especially regarding like history and things like that, you're like, oh yeah, like the Middle East is bad. So like we, like people would always make fun of things like that. Who's, mm-hmm. Whose idea was that? First of all, wait, how was that? Even- I don't know. I did not want to go to that prom at all, but it was like my senior year and that was the only one I was allowed to go to because my parents never let me out of the house. So they were like, you get this prom or no other one. Yeah. They were like, you, you either go to this prom or you don't go at all. And I was like, this is the first dance I've actually been allowed to go to. So like, I'm going to go. But I never even noticed that. I actually brought my cousin from India with me to prom. He was like, what is this American tradition? Come find out. Wait, so I've never told you that we, okay, I don't think Maya knows this. We used to have hungry parties. They were called hungry parties. And it was hungry because it was hungry records. Please hold. <laughs> Black folks in my community, my age, they were like three years older than us. And they created this hungry record because they were just fooling around. They was making stupid music videos back. This was the MySpace days. So like it, they were just, you know, digital cameras were a boom, whatever. And they were able to get our teen center on our military base to allow us to have these hungry parties where we essentially threw our own dances at the teen center. But it was meant for the black community of like kids and like the couple lucky white or like other minority kids that like kicked it with the black people. And I never <laughs> thought about it until I was older. I was like, y'all really created a space for us to have our own parties that were basically dances because we never could listen to the music we wanted to. Like we could never, and growing up in the early 2000s of like G-Unit and like all that stuff, we were like, why can't we listen to our music when the white folks get all their pop and all their rock and stuff, like help us out. And it's crazy because I'm just thinking like, I was just thinking, oh, I don't have, like we never had to do anything where we had to like create our own space. And I'm like, no, we freaking had to because, you know, it's just, and it's wild to me because I was, I thought I grew up in a diverse area and I wasn't diverse at all. The white people still rule all everywhere, but mm-hmm. I just, it still mind boggles me because I, I graduated high school 2011 and we still had to create spaces for ourselves back in the early 2000s. And like, you guys have to do it for generations. I know Maya's younger sister and like her friends were trying to create spaces for themselves. So it's like, do y'all, I, my question is leading up to this, do you have hope that the education system will at some point in time catch up to the times, to society? Or do you think it'll still be um, a very child minority central like thing that we have to push for ourselves? Do you guys have hope that, because you are working with the school district. So now that you've got some experience working with these people, what is your take from it now? I would say that I think it's going to continue being like a youth-led movement because I feel like adults just don't understand like the full scope of what's going on Mm -hmm. in schools because they're not students at this point. And I think just from their view, they assume that everything they're doing is fine. And they think that everything is working out just because they have their uh, one day or one week, no place for hate rallies they think that <laughs> there's no hate and the bullying is it has ended but they don't really know what goes on in the halls and in the classrooms on the school buses and on the walks home from school so i think it's unfortunate that the students have to be the ones uh making this change but i think for now it's going to continue um being the students who will push for like the necessary reforms yeah and i don't know when like what it's going to take for it to like get to the point where like everything is equal though like I don't, I don't know how long that's gonna take because i don't know if it's even gonna be 
like it's definitely gonna happen like decades it's gonna take it's gonna take a while i feel like because i don't know i feel like a lot of people have to get in the mindset to like they have to first recognize that there is a problem because i know a lot of the times they're just like oh they're complaining like there's really no like there's no issue everyone's equal it's fine it's fine but they have to recognize first that there's a problem and then try to tackle that but like i said but like she said before um it this like uh, adults don't know what's going on so it's going to be it's going to have to be a student-led movement makes sense makes mm-hmm. sense i think my sister said something similar when she was on here about mm-hmm. how like so many movements have to be youth-led because like they end up being some of the most marginalized people and so they're like the quickest to speak up yeah. um but it's unfortunate that people like don't always want to hear what youth have to say because they're young um so what has kind of been your experience with um, talking to the school board as young people and like trying to tell them, you know, like we need to change the curriculum and like we need to change how this school works. Like, did you guys get a lot of pushback on that? What was that like? We didn't receive any pushback from this, the board or like the district in wow. general. They were very supportive, which was actually surprising to us. And I think other people in general just assumed that it was an us versus them type of thing, but it was more so like a collaboration. Mm-hmm. And we got more pushback from individuals in the community mm-hmm. than the district itself, um, which is the pushback was expected. But I'm honestly glad that um, the support has been um, a lot more than the pushback that we've received mm-hmm. on any end. That's awesome. That's refreshing. Yeah. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I was like, hopefully it stays like that. Hopefully we're not jinxing up in here. But yeah, that's great. <laughs> Because, I mean, we both experienced, I feel like me and Maya, where we're trying to get our thoughts or opinions across to these grown folks, and they just, like, <laughs> next. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I'm also wondering, your page is called Black and PUSD, um, but a lot of the stories on there aren't specifically from Black students. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering, like, what y'all's thoughts are on, like, including other people's stories on there, and, like, what kind of made you think like, okay, I guess it's okay if we kind of, like, highlight all of these stories, because a lot of people, like, try to differentiate, I mean, that's why we have the terms, like, BIPOC, like, highlighting Black and Indigenous stories as, like, different in this country specifically to, like, people of color, um, so a lot of people, like, within the movement that's happening right now are, like, okay, we have to, you know, we, we just have to highlight that, like, these, Black stories are very different from like other POC stories and like they're not one in the same. Yeah, so um, originally our page was like just for Black students um, to express like their experiences with racism, but since like we were only like 1.9% of the POC population, um, we figured that we could open the page up. Well, a lot of people were requesting, first of all, they said like um, that they don't have a platform that to express their experiences with racism. And we recognize that their experiences are valid. So we were like, okay, we can also like um, open it up to you guys because you guys don't have a platform of your own. Um, and so basically that's why we decided to open up to other races. But the thing is when in doing that, a lot of people were like, okay, like why can't you change the name to BIPOC and PUSD? Like, or like, why can't you say POC and PUSD? And we were like, okay, like, we want to give you guys a platform for you to express your experiences but at the same time we don't want to like forget our original purpose because the black population is so small and i feel like a lot of times our struggles do end up getting like drowned out drowned out by other people um so we want to make sure that the intent of the page was very exemplified with our name and we didn't want to change it and we didn't want to forget our purpose so that's why we kept it the same way um 
but yeah, is there anything else? I think I think also the fact that um, since the black population is so small, most of the stories on our page are from people who are not black. And we kind of, we wanted to make sure that the black student body did not get like drowned out in all the other um, stories because the stories on our page were so little compared to like the Asian and Hispanic populations. Mm -hmm. So that's also part of what made us keep the name because we didn't want to just lump black people in and then into POC and then have them be like forgotten and then mm -hmm. just pushed to the back just because we're a small population. So that's why we kept the name like what it is. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's important. I said makes perfect sense. Yeah. Um, yeah, so the last thing that I want to ask before we like close out is just what are some takeaways that you guys want people to have when they engage with your page and your platform? I think the biggest thing I would say is just to have an open mind because a lot of people, um, when they're unlearning and like learning new things, I think the first thing they, they do is they get defensive or they're like, I'm not racist or I would never do that. But I think it takes a lot of courage and like calmness to be able to be criticized and then take the criticism and um, do your best to relearn how to operate and think about new things. So I think just having an open mind in general yeah. and taking criticism is uh, really good advice. Yeah, and also when like reading the stories on a page, I know like we don't post them um, anymore because we have gotten like the um, help from the school district. But like if people are looking back at the stories, I feel like their first reaction shouldn't be like, oh, that didn't happen. Like, that's not true. Like, you know, because these things do happen. And I remember like I put like in the beginning, like we were posting some of our own stories and I did post the story of like um, how the girl threatened to lynch me. Um, at, and I remember some of the comments are like, oh, this is like so fake. They're like, this isn't even true. But I was like, this literally happened to me and like there are witnesses. So, you know, and I mean, some of the stories can be that like messed up to the point where people think it's not true. Yeah. But just know like they need to recognize that these things happen. And like, I feel like people don't really recognize how bad the issue is. But if you just keep that open mind and like see what's going on um, and try to understand instead of saying that POC are lying, then that's like, that's like the first step. I love that. And I, I remember when the page first started, I remember seeing the comments of people being like, you guys are anonymous. Like this shit is so made up. And I was like, I guarantee it's not. Mm -hmm. yeah. I was like one of the first ones. Cause my sister was like, my younger sister, she was like, I think I might know the girls that run this page. <laughs> I was like, I'm sure. I was like, I bet you do. I bet you do. Because I guarantee that this is all real. These are all real stories. And like, I yeah. tell my family this all the time because I mean, even amongst POC, like people still don't believe each other. And I have to tell them like, if you think everyone is innocent until proven guilty, like that has to be applied to everybody and not just white people. Cause that's who it's always applied to. So like, mm -hmm. you can't just automatically assume that women and people of color and black people and indigenous people are lying because like they deserve for that to be their truth. Yeah, I feel it's proven otherwise, but like that shouldn't be your first initial reaction. Yeah, exactly. I love that you said that. Yeah, like how you said, like everyone was saying how like we were anonymous and that we were just like, like faking the stories and things like that. And like, yeah, like you, like I said before, like they have to start listening to people of color. Um, cause yeah, I noticed that a lot, like the people that, that were saying that like we were anonymous and that the stories were fake were mostly white people that hadn't experienced these, um, these this type of racism i mean or racism at all 
um, you know. So I feel like they just need to recognize that they're in a position of they're in a position of privilege where they don't have to experience these things, and just because they don't experience it doesn't mean that it's not affecting other people. Exactly. Yeah. Anything else, Caitlin, before you go? No, just to thank you both for being here and for doing the job and the work you're doing and the best of luck moving forward for you both personally and with the page and whatever you guys, the more impact you guys can make in San Diego. I mean, we have a lot of people from San Diego, it seems like that come to the Bay Area for college. Um, and it definitely seems like out of all the black folks I've met, all the stories seem to be very much the same, very much adding up, which breaks my heart. But it makes me excited to know, at least for the next generations, that there are people like you guys doing the work, putting you know, forward the heavy lifting, just for awareness. Awareness is so important. And so we can get everybody to know, like you said, this is what's going on. We need you to believe it. Like the same things you claim don't, aren't happening or the exact same things that happened you know, 50, 60 years ago with our grandparents and great grandparents. So that's, yeah. that's it. Thank you for your insight too, because like I said, it's very nice to hear other people's perspective because I am very much aware now that my experience is the minority and it that hurts too because I just you know it's unfortunate I just keep realizing how much black and brown people have to go through and so it, it thinks that your stories have to be added to the pile but again I'm appreciative that you're willing to share them and you know the more we talk about them hopefully the more people will listen maybe we'll, I'm a hopeless optimist I'm always going to believe that maybe the good will prevail but uh, we'll see, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, thank you guys so much for coming on here and tell us where to find you as well so that people yes. can follow you and interact with your page and learn more and like share these amazing resources that you guys have provided for us. Of course. So um, you can follow us on Instagram at black in PUSD and you can find our um, website ethnication.com. It's spelled e-t-h-n-u-c-a-t-i-o-n.com and then we have a podcast culture talk that's on spotify apple podcasts and a bunch of other um podcast platforms if you just google us you'll find it mm -hmm. amazing you guys are doing such amazing work and i Thank hope you. that we stay in contact because i can't wait to see like how this manifests as we continue moving forward and thank mm -hmm. you so much for the work that you do and thank you for coming on our show Thank you so much for having us. Okay. Bye.